um take us um uh, guys i just wait for my green bank of lights to, to come live to tell us uh that, that we're all live max mcgillivray vsoc global with the with isaac um from ahdb and we've got flav who will explain um the amazing flav and, and his story uh in a minute we're just waiting for all the social media to uh to, to kick in um holidays so isaac you you had a great holiday I've just spent three weeks in Spain and I, I definitely think they've got it right. So, you know, late, getting up late and late breakfast, do something, so late lunch, long, late, big lunches, bit of siesta, um, and then get up and, and do something in the evening. Yeah, I, I but, definitely but to, think I'm part Spaniard everyone, somewhere. To, sorry, sorry, yeah. a kudos uh, to, to Isaac, everyone, because he didn't uh, just get on a monosyllabic uh, plane. He drove. Uh, to, was it was it to the bottom of Spain with um, with on, on family uh, with all your with all your bikes and all your gear and uh, went, basically went went exploring. So you had a you had a great time. Flav, have you had a holiday yet? Yes, uh, I was in Kenya in June, um, okay. uh, where where I proposed to my girlfriend. So that was pretty good. What? And hold on, back yeah. up the bus, back up the bus. Just you went to you went to Kenya in June and you um, and you saw some great things and you went for some nice meals and oh, I'm, oh by the way, I proposed to my girlfriend. Wow, <laughs> I think you should now yeah. call her your fiance, Flav. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as I'm saying this story, it was girlfriend and it's fiance now. <laughs> and she said yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like we we were on on the on the Mara River uh, with uh, a couple of crocodiles on one side and about fifty odd hippos on the other. So, and there was a guard behind us with a gun. So. Um, I don't think there was another option. <laughs> Good grief. This poor lady, this one amazing lady. <laughs> Where we go. Yeah. we have to give a big shout out to her. Who what's the what's the name of your beautiful fiance, please? Her name is Nikki, Nikki Clark. Oh wow. Fantastic. Um Isaac, can you make the wedding? Should we, have we got buy a dress or a hat or something? I don't know. I've got my kilt, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I wear a kilt. We'll happily come to the wedding in in Kenya, as long as there's not crocodiles yeah. with Isaac and I wearing kilts. That would be on the beach. There won't be any crocodiles. Oh wow. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, so so you've had an amazing holiday, uh, Flav. Uh, Isaac, you've had an amazing um holiday in uh, Isaac in, in Spain. Uh, our, our, our partner in crime markets in, in Spain, and he might be dialing in. Uh, a little bit later. I just wanted to say I haven't had a holiday yet, but I'm off to Somerset to work on my mate's um, uh, apple farm next uh, <laughs> next week, and he pays me in cider, and I can't stand cider. So if either of you two want uh, any cider from Somerset, I'll, I'll ha happily pass that over. <laughs> yeah, I love some of that. Excellent. Right, should we do this? All, should we do this? All my, all my lights, all my lights are green. I think I'm just going. I'm just going to go for it, uh, Flav, um, Isaac, and just give the intro, especially for those on the uh, on on the podcast. If that's okay. So here, here we go. Beanstalk Global, AHDB, Talking Leaders, our fantastic broadcast series, breaking the mold with Flav Obero, the Kenyan pig farmer. We all know how important it is to be inspired by both big businesses and individuals, which is why we're excited to present Talking Leaders, our ongoing initiative from the fantastic team at the AHDB, which sees a series of inspirational speakers share their life experiences, the, <laughs> their engagement stories, <laughs> um, and to, to deliver impactful stories to the ag leader community. In our August broadcast, Hampshire Pig Farmer and Young National Pig Association Vice Chair Flav will be joining us to share his passion for getting people from a non-traditional background interested in agriculture. Oh, help, help Flav, help me with this. Flav grew up in the coastal town of, how do you pronounce that? Kilifi. Kilifi, Kilifi in Kenya. And it never crossed his mind that pig farming, especially in the UK, would become such an part of his life but after an accidental week's work experience the rest as they say is history flav now has 12 years of expertise in the pig industry and is based on a pig unit near basingstoke he's particularly interested in marketing and adding value to pork he's also passionate about increasing diversity in british ag knowing what it entails to break through in such a long and established industry flav is passionate about increasing diversity in british ag and believes it is a win-win for everyone of course it is Flav believes building a brand to market and showcase the sector as progressive and professional is the only way to get the public on side and extract the value from the market. 
to achieve this, you need to be able to identify with your customer. Uh, Flav is going to hopefully tell us a, a little bit about that. So join with us to, to hear uh, Flav's, Flav's story. But before we go live with you, Flav, um, uh, Isaac, do you want to just give a bit of a background to the AHDB and Talking Leaders, just for those that's, um, uh, who perhaps potentially haven't already dialed in to hear uh, our broadcast series, please? Excellent. Thanks, Max. Yes, yeah, so I'm Isaac. Uh, I'm part of the AgriLeader team at uh, AHDB. Uh, and basically, we do all things people, leadership, management, HR, anything like that. Um, and a big part of that is, is inspirational stories like we'll have, uh, like we'll hear today. So we've got this monthly broadcast called uh, Talking Leaders, uh, people from all over the, you know, from everywhere, basically, so, uh, inside and outside of agriculture, uh, telling their stories and, and giving their ideas for, for us all to share. If, you, if you're live, please um, you know, ask the questions. Uh, and we'll put them to, to Flav, but uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent. And, and just to extol the virtues of, uh, of, of Mark and, and Isaac and the AHDB team, um, Isaac, when was it when we were at the Great Yorkshire show, the months are flying by, was that June or July? And, and I'm still getting, and we did a bunch of uh, amazing interviews there, and I'm still getting really positive feedback. And as good as these broadcasts are, actually to see uh, people in per people in person, and also to see the AHDB in person, and just just to see how they interact and how they're so professional with the with the farmers that they're engaging with was 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 brilliant. So the more that you can engage with the AHDB, whether it be on the likes of um, uh, the, these type of broadcasts or face to face, as we get more and more into real life events, uh, so so so. So the better, I say. So, so Isaac, we've um, we've had some amazing people on. I think this 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 one's going to be great with with Flav. Flav, I suppose the easiest thing to do to just start this off, just just run with it. What's your story? Who is Flav? Tell us. How did it begin? Where is it now? Where's this all going? Where's the where's the story of Flav going, please? Tell us about your book of Flav. Uh, cheers, that intro. Um, how, how far back do you want me to go? Yeah, <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah, but, no, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, as you've said, I I grew up in a small town. Well, it's grew, it's grew a little bit now. I grew up in a small town called Kilifi, uh, which is fifty kilometers ish um, north of uh, the coastal city of Mombasa in Kenya. And yeah, I lived there for twelve years with my parents, mum. Has a salon there still to now. Um, I remember she used to work in uh, uh, at the local hospital as a nurse, and she also she also had a a market store. So I remember there's times where she'd get up at five in the morning, go to Mombasa to buy sort of stuff to sell in the in the market store, come back ready for two p.m. to go start a shift two to eight. Um, Dad was uh, was a biomedical scientist in, at the same hospital, still is, and. Um, he also had a, a pub, which uh, sort of every weekend um, him and his mates used to uh, slaughter and go and meet up. I think probably for about five years consecutively, they never, they never missed a Saturday um, session there. And with me uh, growing up with um, our friends in the town, I sort of just, um, we had a few animals at home. Uh, we grew some veg that we sold at the market, but I didn't really have any. Um, any exposure to farming per se, I'd say till, um, or pig farming especially, until I visited my uncle who lived in uh, in Nairobi and he had some pigs. And I remember going around Nairobi with my auntie uh, with her, their Hilux and we had like black tarpaulin at the back and we'd go around to hotels and cafes, taking all the leftovers, taking them back, sorting out through all the toothpicks and whatever else people had chucked in there. Wow putting it in an oil drum and mixing it with, um, uh, I would ground up pig feed, cooking that up and then uh, feeding the pigs. And I've got a memory of me going back to the house, smelling of sort of pig manure and this yeah. pig sort of swill. And I just sit there in my dirty clothes and just take the smell in. <laughs> and I, I think that's the first memory of sort of um, being exposed to pigs. And from then on, I just wanted to work with them. Okay. Okay. So, so get, get that. So anyone who's ever visited uh, Kenya could just resonate with that. The, just the whole smell elements and the and the and, and the pub elements and that and the busyness of, uh, of of Kenya. And the one thing that you always find in, in Kenya is a smile. Everyone is constantly smiling. But then yeah. that's Kenya, and you're in Basingstoke. 
help us jo join the dots please so uh i remember when i was 15 um i uh went to uh boarding school uh at secondary school so there uh, our secondary secondary school starts from form one and i'd say that's equivalent probably to year seven year eight here and i remember i went there on the uh 2nd of february and then my dad flew to the uk on the 5th to come and work here and this was in 2005 and then uh about six months later he came back took me from school and when i got um uh, my passport done uh, myself mom and my sister and then 2006 june uh 11th we landed in uh, Heathrow um, after having our flight delayed, but then the one we ended up getting on, we got upgraded to business. So that's the first time I've done flowing business. So that was pretty good. Um, yeah, so landed here when I was 15, had to wait a month before joining a local school called King's in Camberley. And then I did, uh, I did year 10 and 11 there. Uh, but because I hadn't done my SATs in this country, I was put into the third set for everything, which is like the average set. Okay. And I remember every exam we did, I topped the class. So I got pushed up on every single, all the subjects apart from English, which I stayed in set two, which I'm glad I did because I didn't really want to do uh, Macbeth. <laughs> we ended up doing all mice and men instead. So <laughs> I didn't really complain there. Um, and then I remember we had to do like, a, we did a careers week and sort of, um, doing work experience and, and I knew I liked animals. I remember doing work experience at a, a garden center chain called Knock Knocks. I don't know if it still exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had like a, a, a pet's corner. So I did a work there for a week. I remember doing uh, six weeks in total in a vet surgery because I wanted to be a vet. And then so I got my grades. I think I had an A in food tech and I still love food now. Um, <laughs> I got eight Bs and two Cs. And I thought, for being in this country for two years, as a 15-year-old, sort of teenager, trying to fit into all the different social um, sort of uh, groups which didn't exist in Kenya, because I remember I had mates that didn't even have um, like windows in their houses, they didn't have shoes. But when you were at school, it didn't matter whether your mom was a nurse, whether your mom worked at a market store, we were all friends. And I still talk to them now, like, um, We've got a WhatsApp group, which uh, I think is a class of 2003. And I left that school in 2002. Some of them wow. I've not seen since then. I will still talk on WhatsApp now. And so coming here, I remember we had a, a I think they call it a Red Nose Day or Mufti Day, where kids pay a quid to wear their own clothes at school. And I just turned up. I think I had, um, I think I had my dad's Reebok Classics because I was growing quite quick. And dad didn't want to spend too much money on buying me clothes that I was would outgrow in two or three months. So I had these Reebok classics, had some uh, some some of those cargo jeans which have like pockets yeah, yeah. everywhere. Um, and I, yeah, I think I just had like a casual jumper on my bag. But then when I got got to school, I sort of quickly realized that there were people dressed in dark clothes. They were known as emos. And then there are others known as Chavs, and then there are the posh kids wearing their Abercrombie and Fitch yeah, yeah. and Ralph Lauren and all those things. And I think at that point, I, I sort of got a little bit confused as to how people as young as 15, 16, it's so, uh, like the division is so clear. Like when you stood yeah. in the, in the, like in the court at break, you had one group stood there, they listened to sort of headbanging, shouting music. You've got another group there, like the Nepalese lads, and girls used to always be separate and um, uh, and a few black students used to mainly hang around with them all by themselves, but never mix. Whereas I was sort of torn in in the, in the sense that I grew up at a coastal town. My parents worked um, uh, for a research company called Welcome Trust. And a lot of the people there were English and I was exposed to English people since I was like four. And I had friends who were English, but also had friends that were Kenyan. And it never occurred to me that you only hang around with such and such because uh, from here, like we have 44 tribes in Kenya. So if that yeah, was yeah. the case, you'd have like 15 different cliques in a class because everyone's from a different tribe. But yeah. I never grew up with that. So I had to learn that. So going through all those um, sort of emotions, uh, accent was another thing. Oh, so yeah. the way I'm speaking now, if my dad was to call me or mom was to call me, I'd switch and talk like a Kenyan. Yeah. But then at school... <laughs> I was still talking like a Kenyan and then in English having to read sort of paragraphs 
you get sort of people giggling because how you're pronouncing words. Um, I hold out a stammer, which which didn't help. So all those things going on, and I, yeah, I managed to get an A, eight Bs, and two Cs. I I thought that wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Um, got into college. I did. Oh, I picked chemistry, biology, maths, uh, French for the first year, and the jump from GCSE French to A level French was just too big for me. So I dropped it in second year and did psychology instead. And we had to do general studies. But uh, by the end of A levels, I hadn't worked hard enough, and I always used to leave things last minute. Took that to uni, unfortunately. Um, do leave revision to last minute. Like I remember doing my maths revision the night before I did like six papers back to back because I knew in a paper you'd get a question from each topic like algebra um, sort of indices or whatever and I did six papers back to back sort of cramming it in and how I'd like to get an A at the end I don't know wow that's (laughs) that's how I managed to get through sort of college just leaving always leaving things to the last minute dad used to get cross with me but uh because of that, I didn't get grades to get into um, vet school. And I remember sitting in my tutor's um, room with my mom, my sister, and my dad, sort of like parents giving you that disappointed look like, yeah, what are we going to do with this one now? You've got this. We thought you were going to get all A's. And then my teacher suggested Sparshot College uh, to apply and do, um, do animal management. And then I applied to a few. I think I applied to Lincoln as well, uh, Harper Adams and Hartbury. Um, I got off. I got four offers. The only one I didn't get was uh, Harper Adams because I think I went for a course. I should have gone for agriculture. I went. I think I went for biovetical sciences because I was still stuck at being a vet. But then I didn't have the grade, so I didn't get there. And also, I think I probably needed a few thousand acres of land to get in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't get there. Sure, surely not. And then, yeah, and then Lincoln Uni. I had two offers from there. But I'd watched um, an in-betweeners episode and the head teacher there, I can't remember what his name is, he's a comedian now. The head teacher mocked Lincoln Uni. And I was like, I'm not going there. Oh, listening no. to it being mocked in in-betweeners. So th- those were those two um, <laughs> dropped. So I had Hartbury and Sparshot left. And knowing about Hartbury now and the way that they're quite big on sports, I wish I went to Hartbury, even though I was going to do animal behaviour. So I ended up at Swashaw College doing animal management. And yeah, I really enjoyed the three years there. I lived in at the campus for two years and then lived in Winchester with friends the last year. And yeah, those three years I really loved. And I'm glad I did animal management and not agriculture because I find yeah. uh, sort of learning about agriculture now, it would have been too, too narrow for me. Yeah. Whereas doing animal management, I think... I, we learned about obviously all the species and reptiles, fish, mammals, and there's things now when talking on social media with, with people or even in real life, I can relate some things from wild animals, elephants, giraffes, evolutionary to pigs when explaining simple things and it helps. Whereas I think if I'd only done sheep, pigs, cattle, camels, or whatever, goats, it, I would have been quite sort of um, uh, quite tunnel visioned in my. Uh, in my thought process so that's one thing I'm glad I did at the animal management degree instead of an agricultural one and then I remember the last I think it's the last uh, the last sort of term of uh, doing my degree I was finishing my dissertation and we had to do like a personal development uh, folder and part of that was to apply to the industry you want to go into and all through the three years I had done all my assignments on pigs. Had you? Okay. uh, Yeah. So the whole thing of having assignments, you just put your number there because it's anonymous. By the time they saw the scientific name of a pig, they knew it was me. Okay. (laughs) There was no anonymity (laughs) with my assignments at all. And because I'd done a year's work experience before going to uni to sort of try and earn a bit of money on the farm that I'm on now. Okay. Um. I knew I wanted to work with pigs. So I applied for a job at Plumpton College. Uh, they called me for an interview and I thought, okay, I'll just go for the interview. That would be another tick on my personal yeah. development folder. On the last, the deadline of dissertation, again, leave me leaving things late. I'm sat in the library. I get a phone call um, and it was someone from Plumpton College saying, we're giving you the job. And I was like, I've still got three months of uni to do. So I said, let me quickly ask my teacher. So I ran to the staff room 
told my uh, my tutor then, Carrie, saying, I've got a job, what do I do? She was like, go. So I finished my dissertation. I told Blumpton I wanted a month of student living first before I started. So I, I had a month of enjoying myself. And then April the 5th, 2014, moved into a three-bed sort of um, house on the farm, empty. I remember calling home, you say hello and you hear four yeah, yeah. hellos in the background. <laughs> I think I only had like a, a single bed in there, mattress, as that was at my dining table, my sofa and bed as well. Um, yeah, and I remember that was like my first experience of actually working, having a job with a salary, etc. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, not, I've not looked back since. Excellent. Wow, what a story, Max. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Thank, thank you, Fer. So, so, so Flav, so it's, it was also obviously preordained that you're going to go in, into the pig sector. And although you're, you're a bit of a, a, a last minute king, like I, I definitely am, it, it sounds like there's a, there's a, there's a plan here. Um, what, can you share us where, where do you want to where do you want to be that horrible question where do you want to be 10 20 years out within within the pig sector if it is going to be this pig sector have you, have you got got this notion as to where you want to be where you're heading where, where are you going uh yeah so i'd say yeah i definitely won't won't leave um at the pig sector again because i left it in 2017 because um uh, i was working at plumpton i got to the stage where i knew my job, I could do it. So even at 50%, I could do it. Um, I wanted more sort of responsibility. I wanted to do a bit of teaching. Um, sort of, uh, I did a few lessons help, uh, helping Mark when he wasn't in. Um, I wanted to um, sort of try a few more things in the unit. And unfortunately, the person I was working under then, whether he felt threatened, whether, um, I don't know, he didn't want to see progress or whatever, he just, was quite suppressive and I thought okay I'm gonna go somewhere else and learn and if this job comes up again like the managerial job I'll come back for it and yeah so I left and worked in the feed industry um, yeah. for a company called Duffields in, in yeah. Kent yeah. so again I moved to Kent I didn't know anyone in Kent I unfortunately ended up living in Ramsgate which apologies to anyone that lives in Ramsgate now but honestly it's definitely I've got no so, so yeah. Flav, can I give can I give you my Ramsgate joke? Uh, so Ramsgate yeah. uh, five five years ago had an earthquake and it did five million pounds worth of improvements. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all of us. It that's all of us ostracised from Ramsgate. <laughs> it, it wasn't yeah. enough, and I think of all the places I've lived three three years in Winchester, uh, lived in Surrey, and my parents still live there now. I'm only half an hour away from them. Um, lived here for a year and a half, and then I've come back now. Ramsgate is the only place I've got no, no good memories of, no fondness. I didn't even have a pub that I liked. Actually, the only place I liked in Ramsgate was there was a, a gym that I found that I really liked, and there's a fish and chip shop near the <laughs> flat I lived at, which was really they used to do deep fried ribs, which were oh, just yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, but but Flav, hold on, just to pick up on that point, don't you find that the people who've had a bit of adversity in their lives, whether it be with with rubbish bosses um or whether it be in areas that they haven't particularly like it's actually made them better has that made you better um by, by having that, that experience with that manager that you perhaps didn't gel with and and perhaps uh not not uh not loving ramsgaters like, like the people that, that live in ramsgate love it uh yes i would say also it it sort of teaches you whether conscious subconsciously not to treat people in that way so yeah, well I did end up going back to Plumpton and getting the manager job after two interviews. Um, and I had uh, a lad called Jesse working with me. I never used to say I'm his manager or he worked under me. We were colleagues everywhere we went. Until Brilliant. we came to making a decision or on paper, I never liked saying, oh, I'm the manager. Well, the only other place I've got that is on my email sign-off, like at the bottom plate and whatever. But that's more a formality rather than that's how I carry myself. And I think, uh, like you say, going through these bad experiences or um, uh, character building, as my dad would call it, yeah, it definitely toughens you up. Because I remember, yeah, they say being on my own in a cat in a town I didn't know anyone. Uh, my my get out was the weekends. I'd go back to Sussex, 
and uh, play rugby with um, uh, the team I played for as well, Plumpton. So I'd leave work at five. I'd be in Sussex by about seven o'clock, stay with my friend Charlie. And then we'd have like a um, Friday Friday evenings, we'd always cook together. So it's three of us, we'd always get yeah, some food, cook, and then Saturday play rugby, drink in the evening. And then Sunday, I'd stay in Sussex as long as I could and then probably drive back seven, eight o'clock in the night. Yeah. Uh, work was enjoyable as well because there's some decent people at the company I worked at. So the, the big trails on my own is when I hate it. So evenings. Um, and at the time, I was doing a master's as well, which I put on hold at the moment. So coming up to exams, I would start work at uh, half eight, finish at five, sometimes get the gym or rugby training, get back, cook, um, wind down a bit till about nine o'clock or ten, start studying till about two in the morning, and then sleep and then start again. So whether that was a coping mechanism or what, but I just used to hate being being in that town. And luckily I found an annex in Canterbury for six for the last six months I was in Kent. And those six months uh, are the memory that I hold of of Kent. Um, which is a lovely couple. Uh, they had an annex, which was, I think, was a pool house because the swimming pool was a step away from my annex. I could there's a, I did a video in 2018 um, during the World Cup. We had the telly right by the pool, and yeah. I could <laughs> jump from the annex into the pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those six months were amazing. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I've just had someone <laughs> message me and who says, um, I've lived in Bramsgate all my life, it hasn't improved. <laughs> 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 I think we've been a bit sidetracked, Flavs, and tell us about your, your plans, because I know there are some plans. Uh... Oh, yeah, sorry, plans, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so plans, uh, we'll start with sort of uh, like next six months, year, and then work away. So um, uh, Nikki and I uh, are planning or in the process of starting a chat YouTube business, so making cured meats um, using, um, uh, using calisals, because at the moment in the industry, the car sales are sold to Europe at cheap prices. I think at the moment is probably at 43p a kilo. And they make them into cured meats and we buy it back oh, at no, an expensive don't. price. Like you've never seen charcuterie being sold for 10, 20 pound a kilo. So I don't understand why that is, but it happens. And I want to try and change that as small as I can. Um, and there are companies out there already doing it, but I think the more people that do it, the less we'll have to send these animals out of the country to then buy back the product. Uh, so that's the um, short-term plan. And then um, off the back of that, hoping, what well, not hoping, that will go well because I've got so much belief in it. I think it's one the first thing in my life where I've decided I'll go two-footed in it. If it goes left, I'll have learned something, but I'm going to definitely put everything into this. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so after that, I'd want to replicate that in Kenya because um, okay. uh, there's a company called Farmer's Choice who sort of have the big, uh, uh, the biggest share of market in Kenya for sausages and pork product. And this is only my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of Kenyans will disagree with me until they try the sausages from our farm shop. Um, everyone thinks Farmer's Choice sausages are the best. And even when I was in Kenya, I used to think they were the best. We came here. And I struggled to sort of find a sausage that was similar. But now that I've sort of been in the industry, uh, uh, I need some amount of time to try different sausages and, and I know what goes into a good sausage. I'd compare Farmer's Choice's best sausage to a Richmond sausage. Really? But right, okay. if you look in Kenya, people don't have any other options. That's what yeah. they've got. And even in June when we went, Remember we were um, uh, walking through the supermarket with Nikki and we just stare straight to the sausage and charcuterie are just looking at yeah. what the competition yeah. would be. And like, it's just not there. And I almost feel sorry for the Kenyan public for not being exposed to better products. So that's something I said, when we left, I said to Nikki that we are going to come back and we're going to compete with Farmer's Choice. So that was, oh. that's the next, the next bit after, after setting up the, the business here. I'll, I'll share some of my um, South African Burevors and Drevors uh, recipes with you, uh, Flavs, and I'll take a small percentage. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think, go, I think go what's on. happening, Mac, 
we're supposed to talk about diversity and uh, I called Flav on, on uh, Monday evening, as, as he mentioned, you know, as what I would like to say as one star were rising and plumped and another were fading, but then the fading star maybe never got up there. But um, so I was chatting to Flav on, on Monday evening and we just ended up talking about some the Springbok New Zealand test and never actually talked uh, too much about some the prep for this. But <laughs> so let's talk a bit about some diversity and, and, you know, that whole area of, of you know, so what have you seen? Uh, good practices, bad practices, and and actually, in, in essence, why is diversity good for business? Yes, and it's a great buzzword, but what's the actual benefits? Um, I would say, like every time I see the term diversity now, I almost try and not to roll my eyes because I know I'd say more than 50% of the time it's just put in there for the sake of putting in there. And the other 50%, it's not focusing on people. It's focusing on uh, like your crops, your, your style of your business. So whether you've got sheep, pigs, or whatever. Um, so diversity of people in, in agriculture is only picked up momentum in the last year or two. And when you look at the momentum it's picked up on social media, or on even in literature like magazines compared to what's actually happening on the ground, I don't think it matches. And it's that whole thing. Like I remember doing uh, a podcast with uh, Will Evans and I said, uh, uh, let's do the more do on there. And he tied to the thing that, and I think there's so much dithering when it comes to diversity in, in agriculture, in the sense of you suggest something to let's say a magazine, or a company, or even a social media platform, and you get, oh, I'm going to pass it on to people above, and then we'll see what happens. And you think, what's there to pass on? All, I, yeah. all, all someone is asking is just vary your posts, i.e., whether you're going to vary them in today, you post about pigs, tomorrow, sheep, tomorrow, whatever, or even like on something like Farm 24, which uh, this year improved. But I remember there was one year where Oh, it was 2020 when the um, uh, uh, the BLM movement started. And I remember on Farm 24, I messaged someone at Farmers Guardian saying, today will be a day to put someone on your page that's not your typical farmer, that's not white, anyone. It doesn't have to be me. And I never like yeah. saying, oh, put me, put me, because I think I've got my own uh, page and I can put my face on there as much as I want. But on these other pages, it's about seeing more than just me, just other people. And you get the reply, oh, I'll just speak to the editor and see. I'm like, no. what's there to talk about? Yes, what's there to talk about? And I think um, going from 2020, 2021, and now, it's slowly, it's slowly improving, but the pace is just so slow. Even the diversity with ladies in, in the industry or even in society, you'd see a company would put a post even on LinkedIn saying, oh, we've improved this and we've got ladies now. And they get congratulated. And you think, why, why are they getting congratulated on doing something so basic? It's like someone congratulating someone for breathing. It's like, you should be doing that anyway. Yeah. So if, if yes, it's something that's a buzzword now, but just because people are slowly doing it, there shouldn't be congratulations saying, oh, now you've got um, a gay person in the company or you've got a black person in the company. You should have had that 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from what Isaac is saying on a business um, side is that people are from diverse backgrounds have different ways of doing things. And even as a Kenyan in Kenya with the 44 tribes that are there, mom's from Kikuyu tribe, dad's from Alua tribe. And both Kenyans, but they do things differently. So you've got one country with 44 different ways of doing things. And even, let's say, in England, you've got uh, these ways, uh, let's say, people up north to do something compared to south. And even in the south, you've got southeast, southwest. Um, you've got Midlands. So even amongst that, there's diversity. But it's just that um, sort of uh, the gender diversity, the um, uh, asexuality diversity, the racial diversity, that's dragging a bit. And I just think there isn't much to talk about. We just need to do it. Yeah. Okay. So how do we change that, Flavs? And how, you know, you've, you've challenged us before and rightly so. So how, how do we change that? How, what, what can we do 
to help improve that? I would say by, by consciously choosing to do these actions rather than things being afterthoughts. Like, okay, we've got a panel here. Um, and I've seen on Twitter sometimes, you, got, you get a, a panel gets put out, oh, we've got this talk with X, Y, Z, and then it's an after all, like, oh, we haven't got a man on there, or we haven't got a woman on there, or we haven't got an Asian girl on there. It should be second nature. And I think you say how to do it. From a farming perspective, we need to reach out to those communities that are lacking in agriculture to get them in. Because as, let's say, as a, as a Gaka, as, a, as an African, there's no way you're just going to knock on the door on a farm and say, oh, can I come in? Because all you've seen before is farming should be for landowners or for people who live in countryside. And even the countryside itself doesn't really have that many non-white people because it's fairly expensive. You've got the access side of things where a lot of people from, uh, are from developing countries move here to live in the city because they probably move from the countryside themselves. And so some of them don't drive. So living in a city, you've got trains, you've got buses, but if you're going to live in a countryside in the middle of nowhere and you don't drive, that, that again, is cutting people, uh, our people off. So I'd say it's, uh, the onus is on us, like in farming, to go out there and speak to people from these um, sort of marginalized backgrounds and bringing them in, telling them, look, far farming is a, is a career choice. It's not a by the way. I took it as a by the way. And even now still, you're like, oh, you failed your GCSE, go farm. Like we've got two lads here. One of them uh, has a few learning difficulties and it's like, oh, go to agriculture. And you think there's more to agriculture than just shoveling or sweeping, yeah. which are jobs I need doing. So if agriculture was to be promoted as a job and farming was to be promoted as a job, not just being a farm manager or an agronomist or working on a farm, looking after pigs, looking after chickens, whatever, if they were to be promoted as jobs in schools for careers weeks, because at school, I never saw someone from the agricultural industry come to our school telling us, oh, there's these jobs. It was all accountants. It was all yeah. um, uh, selling houses or being a, I don't know, stewardess on, a, on an airline. It was all those basic jobs that everyone wants. Yeah. But farming is a very rewarding job that yeah. people are missing out on. And, and guys, I, I think we're ooh, just going to say, I think that the agriculture sector is, is 10 years behind some other industry sectors. Um, I, I always think of the likes of, say, en the engineering um, uh, industry in the UK. Every year they, they have a, a great careers day, which makes it into the mainstream press, the BBC, the ITV, and they'll, they'll have um, the, the, the young guy and the young young girl working for the likes of Rolls-Royce with a yellow hat on saying how well they're, they're enjoying the engineering sector. And the engineering sector is, is also incredibly diverse across the, the, the whole remit. You then look at agriculture and we are, backwards probably the wrong word, I, th I think we're probably playing catch up. I, I won't nominate the university I was at yesterday, but they they showed me some old files that showed in, in 1968, so only 50 odd years ago, um, they weren't allowed to allow women into the university to learn about agriculture um, because the um, it, it just wasn't allowed. So that's not that long ago. And it, it, it we're still playing catch up on that. But Flav, that's why we need positive disruptors like, like yourself to, 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 to be noisy, um, to, <laughs> to wind up, rightly so, the likes of the Farmer's Guardian, um, to say, but, and, I, and, I, and I completely get about what you say about the um, about some of the boards, some some of the um, speaking slots, because it's just the male grey and stale um, type type brigade. When um, actually mixing it up with young and old and and um, of of different um, backgrounds and sexuality, whatever, it would just add more to it. Um, Isaac, would, would you agree with me, or or, or do you think I'm uh, shouting into my 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 wood uh, solo as uh, as normal? No, I, I definitely agree. And I, and I think, you know, what maybe the step back that, that we need to take is to kind of think, you know, because all of us uh, consciously or subconsciously, when, whenever decision we do or make is that thing of, you know, what's in it for me? Because that's the reality. And we, we just, you know, uh, historically and genetically programmed to think about what's in it for me. And I think that's a big part of, of what we can do is to shout about and, you know, if you've got a diverse business that, that 
those things that uh, Flav talked about, you know, so the, the different ways of doing it, the different ways of seeing, seeing things, the, the, you know, so, um, connecting with customers in different ways. And I think that's what, what we need to shout about. So it's not just a buzzword about some diversity. It's actually, listen, if you, if you are more diverse as a business, you know, here's what's, what's the benefits are for you. And I think that's, that's something that, that, you know, so we, we should convey. Um, yeah. and, and that's the, the, how we get the message across. It's, it's not just about this, you know, some of it is because it's the right thing to do, but it, you know, like I say, inherently people have got that thing, what's in it for me. And, and there is, you know, big benefits for being diverse. I don't know. What, what do you think, Flav? Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, there, Isaac. And also, um, just as you're talking, I was thinking, like this country loves loves sport. We love football. We love rugby, um, volleyball, many other sports. If you look at a rugby team, one to fifteen, that's diversity right there. Number one and number nine aren't the same size. Um, number four and number fifteen, well, unless it's a uh, the Fijian team. Um, number four and fifteen are different sizes. Look at a football team, the keeper and uh, a midfielder different. Yeah, so. We've, we've lived or we live in a society with, with diversity already. And it doesn't have to be the whole, um, uh, like the thing, I would sometimes feel sorry for white men because that, that phrase, it rhymes like the pale male and stale. It rhymes, but even just saying it then, it's probably the first time I've ever, it's ever come out of my mouth. But I, I always feel like it's almost like the, the English men or white men in society, they've come into something already exists. So I think I find it a bit harsh when, when we say pale male and stale, it's a bit harsh just targeting um, uh, that group of people. That said, about seven times out of 10, when you see a discussion about in increasing women in a sector, increasing um, non-white people in a sector, increasing uh, non-straight people in a sector, it's always the white men that chirp up. So it, I feel bad that it's a it's a it's a phrase that's always used, but also I'm like, oh, oh, Flav, you just Jasmine. you just you just killed your microphone. Well done. Did, uh, guys, guys, can I just give you another example? Because I, I, don't worry, Flav. I, I, I think we, we are seeing the societal change. We we had a call with um with a very large fresh produce business that. Um, is in the UK, is in uh, West Africa, and is also in East Africa, Kenya. And we had a call with the CEO because they, they are now on a D&I drive, uh, diversity and inclusivity drive, that they, for mid-management senior level uh, positions, they're really, really keen to have a diversified board. Um, and that's the first, first time we've seen that on a recruitment perspective, that a company's actually come to us to state, yeah, we want we want to create change. Whilst if you go back to my engineering example, they've already had that in place uh, in ten years. But then I was I was debating whether I was going to mention this, but likewise, I've got um, other agricultural businesses that when they have a vacancy coming up, um, they are adamant that they won't have a, um, a any women um, within their business because their view is that women become pregnant and that causes them an issue. And I don't even want to go uh, anywhere near about uh, other um, eth ethnic races on, on the back of that. And we've refused to deal with them on, on that basis. So you, you just got this, this oh, oxymoron within, within the whole fresh produce, uh, fresh food, agricultural sector. You've got businesses who are now looking to drive that DNI um, mythology but they're 10 years too late, but at least they're doing something. Then you've got these other ar archaic businesses who don't want to employ women. Um, so, so I, I, I think we've got to be positive. There are there is change going to uh, going to happen if we can persuade companies that when they're looking to recruit, whether that be students to mid management to the board level, to look at it on a on a diversified basis, and and likewise to pu push their suppliers and even their customers on a similar basis. If we could create that societal change by having this type of conversation, Isaac Flav, that that's going to be good. Do, do you think, and Isaac? I definitely think, and I think something that that we definitely need to talk about, and and Flav has mentioned, is social media. I mean, it's such a powerful tool sometimes uh, for the negative, but it can be used to to such a, a positive effect as well. And Flav, you you are now I think and uh, almost officially or uh, maybe it's an officially called an influencer. So mm -hmm. you know, some talkers. <laughs> we had this conversation on Monday night. Um, 
you know, what, what do you do on social media? And, you know, some tips on that. And how do you engage? You know, so how do you keep it positive? Uh, and, so, you know, what, what can and should we be doing on, on social media? Uh, so I really hope that I don't get referred to as that because I hate, <laughs> I hate that phrase so much. I despise, I despise that phrase so much. Um, but I would say, I think social media probably up until, when was it? Probably up until probably 20, 2019, 2020, I just had it for social, um, just to speak with friends, uh, connect with my friends back in Kenya. Um, and then I think after the, after the, uh, the BLM um, uh, movement, and I think I remember doing an article with Farmers Weekly, and the I remember the backlash I got off that on on uh, on Facebook in the comment section. Surprise, surprise! Um, I thought actually I think I should start sort of being more open about talk about these topics. What I do as a farmer as well, and just show it on there. And I think I still had my um, my name on there, and then obviously start seeing people that are like the sausage up there, and such and such. And I thought actually. If I put the Kenyan pig farmer, should that be easy for people to find me? Because you say someone always flagging this. Oh, how do you spell that? But the Kenyan pig farmer is pretty straightforward. And yeah, off the back of that, it's just gone on and on. And then I found sort of having interactions with people. Um, so people asking, oh, uh, why does a pig do this? And some questions where I probably would never have to, or these people would have never had the opportunity to see those things because they don't live on a farm or they are close to it. Some people even from South Africa, like I've, I've got a lad from South Africa that's messaged me a few times saying, oh, look at my pig. It looks sick. What does it have? And I sort of tell him, oh, go to this website and read this and helping each other out like that. There's Kenyans on there now, Americans, Canadians, we talk. And you just think, I'm here in Hampshire and I've got all these people in the world that yeah. sort of sharing knowledge. I, I see what they're doing and they see what I'm doing, it's such a powerful tool like that. And then on things like Farm24, or even um, uh, the thing with FaceTime a farmer, where during lockdown, um, people could obviously couldn't, couldn't visit some of these farms that they would have visited normally. Farmers are sort of uh, uploading on their, on their um, social media and showing kids what happens on farms. I thought, actually, I think with what's going on, in the um, in the industry, especially big industry, the supply chain um, and fairness, etc. The more people see what goes on behind the scenes before the pork yeah. chop gets on your table, the more people understand that. Oh, actually, I shouldn't be paying. I don't know, one ninety five for that um, kilo of pork instead of the two forty costs to produce it. Um, and yeah, so off the back of that, I've just pushed it, and then looking at social media is free. And I thought there's no one out there that can sort of say what I do or show people what I do more than myself. So I've just taken that opportunity and thought, okay, all these platforms are there. I just jump on them and use them and get my name out there. And like I said, from 2020, it's worked all right so far. Um, and for me... Sorry, Flav. Yeah. Go, go, go Flav. Uh, so I was going to say that for me, it's more... And the main drives for me are getting the British public to understand about farming in general, not just pigs, just farming in general and what the work that goes behind uh, getting the food on their table. And also um, uh, from a diversity perspective, if someone's living in Somerset, let's say a, a young black family or Asian or a non-white family living in a countryside somewhere, thinking it's just them, but then they see me on social media, I think, oh, actually, he's a guy that looks like me, or he's someone that's not white doing that job. Maybe I could be that. Even kids in London um, that see black teachers, black of uh, black police officers, yeah, etc., yeah. but they don't see black farmers. Like yeah. I saw um, at the black farmer Wilfred when I before I came to this farm in 2010, I typed up on Google black farmers in the UK, and he came up. And since that day, I'll never forget. I looked at his picture and I was like, if he can do it. Why can't I? And I'm, I'm still here doing it. And But the one thing with social media that I struggle with still is how uh, sort of some people channel or have the thing about fame 
as a motive rather than the other bits, which, like for me, I always say, if social media was to be shut off tomorrow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't flinch because yeah. I'd be like, I grew up, I didn't have a computer at home till I came to England when I was 15. We didn't have a telly since I, until 1996 and I was born in 91. So I can live without all these things, but I use it to show people what's going on. Whereas we, there's a minute number of people that don't focus or keep the focus of teaching people whatever and just go down the fame side. And I think when it goes down that road, is when you get the negativity, the the false um, sort of um, uh, pretenses online of like like farming, for example, constantly showing cute piglets, cute lambs, and it's like, but there's more to that to it than that. There's days where you spill food, like when I had the Farmers of the UK page and like a ton of food spilled on the floor. A lot of people won't show that because yeah, they just want to show the perfect side, which gives the consumer or the public a false idea of farming you have dead animals you have days when you take trailers like i have a few um you have days when you reverse into things so show, my idea is you gotta show all of it and explain it rather than just putting a picture of a dead animal and not explaining it people get upset but give a warning talk about the whole aspect so we can have the public on the journey with us otherwise if they only understand half of it then they can easily start making sort of conclusions if they know the whole picture then they go to the supermarket or hopefully a farm shop and make a conscious decision saying i'm going to spend x amount on this because i'm not experts yeah. Um, yeah. on, on monday when uh, you were having a briefing with uh, isaac i was with a bunch of mates in a, in a pub and uh, we were talking about you flav and uh, i just asked them um, because they they, they they all follow you uh they're all sort of far, farming uh, re related and I said, well, what's the one word that you, you, you know, Flav, you know, the, the, the Kenyan pig farmer, what's the one word that comes up when you think of Flav? Flav? And uh, the, the answer was authentic. And that, I think that's of the, the obvious difference between um, influencers doing doing the thing over there with, with Love Island and tanning products that uh, Isaac and I try not to buy. <laughs> but And, 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 and your, yourself um, is being, is, is that you're authentic. So you're showing the good, the bad and the ugly. And, and again, I, I just love that example of um, if, if there was a black kid in, uh, in in London and he sees an inspiring individual as a, as a policeman, as a as a rugby player, as a, as a farmer, um, they're, they're going to be positively um, influenced to uh, potentially go that way. And just on that side, are, are you happy? Just thinking of the people that are dialed into to listening to this, are you happy to sit on a panel, go on broadcasts, go go on podcasts? Um, obviously, de de time dependent. But are you happy to to continue to to go down? this route within UK agriculture to, 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 to further promote diversity? All day long. Like wow. since when, when I did that, um, that article, I remember uh, a lad called uh, Ollie Hill. And I think I'd say this, um, I don't know what word you use, this um, spike of me getting involved more to do different things other than farming. I'd thank him actually because I'd entered the, um, fittest farmer competition by Farmers Weekly. Um, and he contacted me and said, oh, do you want to talk about this Black Lives Matter thing? I was like, yeah. He came to Plumpton, we did an interview, and he did like, I think it was like double spread in Farmers Weekly. And I remember a lot of positives. Um, I'd say in, in farming, easily 95% of the industry are willing to, uh, they're welcoming, willing to teach, willing to learn, willing to, um, uh, make mistakes and learn from them, but there's a small 5% or less, which is statistically insignificant, um, that are always going to make everyone else look bad. And they're the ones that were chatting up in the comments. And I screenshotted every single one of those um, negative comments. I've got an album of them in my on my phone. Oh. And I look at them as motivation sometimes. And I've always said that Brilliant. I'm probably... Till I die or leave, well, I won't leave the industry. So until I die, I will always chirp up about it, always. And as long as I'm, I'm not offending someone and I'm not sort of saying something that's out of turn, yeah. I'll say it on any platform, wherever. And I'm quite lucky that my current bosses um, uh, at the January's, they're very supportive of me because where, um, where it's a family farm, you don't really have that corporateness like when I was at Plumpton, yeah. we couldn't have said some things because, oh, the college will look bad. So even, even in that sentence there, even though you're saying you're doing something good, 
but because it doesn't align with promoting the college or making it look in a good way in quotes, you get sort of told off uh, for it. Like I remember the summer of 2020, I uploaded a picture of a sow that had died of heat stress, which is the fastest ever happened to me. I was quite distressed by it. So I wanted to tell people that this thing's happened. And I almost got a disciplinary for it because one person complained to college saying we saw a dead animal, we don't like it. And I'm like, but that's one person out of how many? Yeah. That's that's the reality. So I love the fact that I work for a family or a, a farming family that's really supportive and are keen to sort of see me push messages out there or um, sort of show people what happens in farming. And um, yeah, so like to answer your question, anywhere, so long as I'm not offending anyone or stepping on anyone's toes, I'll keep pushing this until I see change, significant change as well, not yeah. just this. Well, one of one of the other benefits of uh, social media is that you know the, the lad that uh, Flav mentioned uh, from South Africa, he came over to see uh, Flavian and Sunny. Uh, I met him at the Pig and Poultry oh. Fair. Flav brought him off, and I got a chance to speak Isi Closa at uh, in Kenilworth at the Pig and Poultry Fair. I mean, how surreal is that? <laughs> And, and guys, just on that, uh, let's just call, call, call it for what it is, that abuse online. There's been enough incidences of MPs who obviously get a huge amount of uh, abuse. They've actually confronted uh, those those people. They've invited them to the House of the Parliament. They've given them a, a trip round. They, they've then sat down with them. They found that they're actually um, gen, uh, generally nice people. But when they've got a keyboard and then the confines of their, their own home, they just just it's like a Jekyll and Hyde character, um, and and uh, I don't know, I don't know, Flav. It feels like some people just have a hobby of sitting at their their, their computer and being nasty to people, some sort of release for that for the issues that they've got in their in, in their own life. Yeah, and I think it may, maybe it's because I'm um, thick skinned, or maybe because I've had such a, a, a an upbringing where I know no matter what happens now to me or to. I get comments online. I know my mom, my dad, my sister, and Nikki will always be there for me. And yeah. a lot of friends around me. So I just see those things as, as words. Um, sometimes, yes, some um, I stick in my head and have sort of talked to people about it. But I think uh, at the point you made there about um, uh, our MPs invite people to, uh, to parliament and talking to them. I've had incidences where I've spoken to people that fully disagree with me completely but then I feel that I learn more about them or more about a side of sort of a way of thinking that I've never had and I also hope that after talking to them you have changed them but even if it's not one percent but at least it's yeah. working towards the better rather than the worse and I think even if it's like a leader of, I don't know, these parties, what is it? The one that used to be around, is it BMP or whatever? Yeah. I'd happily sit with one of them and have a chat because half the times their, their arguments just don't make any sense. Yeah. Literally don't make any sense. Um, but it's just that thing of, um, for, I'd say like English natives, don't be scared of making mistakes. If you're talking to someone from a different ethnicity and you don't know much about it, just ask the question. Yep. If you say something wrong, ask people from these ethnic groups should come down your throat. We should yeah. um, sort of understand that you might be ignorant or you don't know or lack of exposure. And we explain to you. So it's, yeah. it's it works both ways, I think. You should be ready to teach and people should be ready to learn. Yeah, I think we need to be like uh, Flav, uh, Isaac. We we need to be authentic and we need to be relentless. Um, and, and, and talking of uh, re relentless, we've got our, our colleague Mark uh, from the HDB who's on holiday um, this week, but he was desperate to get a question over to you, Flav. So I'm just going yeah. to uh, dial up his little little video. So just bear with me. Da, 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 da. Oh, look at him. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Mark. Oh, so right here we go. Question from Mark on holiday. One question I got from Flavian today. With the world and the connectivity that we live in, which people are more and more connected than we've ever been, uh, and aware of probably different cultures, genders, diversities, um, and now, how can we utilise 
the world that we live in uh, to become more diverse in agriculture. Have a good day. I'm going to. So, everyone, that was Mark from Bogner Reedus. <laughs> Who, I'm sure. I'm sure he would be very, very proud to have got uh, got got segued in there. Vlad, what what what's your what's your thoughts? What's your comments on on the back of his his question about diversity? Um, I would say I I go straight to an example of when we when we signed a trade deal with um, Australia and New Zealand, uh, and so the backlash of that from farmers, etc., and seeing even things like. Uh, sort of some false comparisons being made, things that weren't 100% accurate. It's, I think it's understanding that as much as I would back, I'd say back British farming or buy into British to the hill, I'm a British farmer now. But when I go back to Kenya, I'll have to back Kenyan farmers. And it's that thing of understanding that what you do could be to the best of your ability and it suits you. What an Australian, what a Kiwi, what uh, an American, what a South American does suits them. So some things we might disagree with, but if it works for someone else, let them do it. Because I think the way other people farm, we could easily learn from how other people farm, regardless how different it is to us. So I think that would be a, a definite starting point there of not just assuming that you're the best because you're the best according to who. It's a whole thing of if you don't travel, you think your mum's the best cook. Because if you think you're the best, then you go out there and compare against others. You could be number three, number four, number five. So if that, I think, even boils down to respect. Even when you look at athletes like your Usain Bolt, your, I don't know, Andre Pollard, your Remulens, your Rich Moments or whatever, they're good at what they do, but they still respect an opponent when they come up against each other. That's why they prepare to the highest level because you don't just stand up and say, well, I'm the best anyway, so whoever comes, I'm going to beat them. So for, for um, of what Michael's saying to work, respect has to be there in that no matter what background someone is from, if they're doing something, trust and respect that whatever they're doing suits them and it's a way that they do it. So you either learn something from it or just respect it and leave it. Um, and the beauty of social media is that I don't have to be in Senegal to see what Senegalese goat farmers are doing. I don't have to be in Botswana to see how uh, other beef farmers are doing. Like there's, uh, there's a girl who's a beef farmer in, uh, in Botswana that like, sort of chat to us, what's your beef price doing there? And I've never been to Botswana. She's never been what, been to Hampshire or, or met me in person, but we learn from each other it, in that sense. So I guess from respect, it will lead on to open, um, being open-minded as well. Because if you're close-minded, you're only just going to know what you know. Um, and I think that's why I like hanging around with people that aren't necessarily pig farmers. Yeah. And I think playing rugby, um, I like at Plumpton, in our team, we had builders, we had doctors, we had um, sort of teachers, uh, people that worked in um, uh, vineyards, which came in handy in the summer because he... You get to get to go to wine tasting, but you get such different perspectives. Or even when we went to HDB um, uh, at the Talking Leaders Conference, some of the speakers on there will probably never set foot on a farm, but the way they tell you um, how they yeah. do their things at the Olympian, we had talking there. When they tell you how they do their things or how they've, um, uh, they've overcome adversity or troubles, you, in your head, you're thinking, well, actually, that day when the pigs got out or that day when I was trying to reverse that corner, whatever, if I apply what they yeah. just said there, it'll work. So yeah, it's just, I'd say respect and open-mindedness will be key to making um, uh, to making social media help with um, uh, improving diversity. Well, well, well done. We're, we're running, running out of time. We're running out of 50 P's for, for the meat and, and Kenyan, Kenyan shillings. So we, we, better, we better wrap up. But the, thing, but the three words I've, I've learned from you are authentic, relentless and, and respect. Isaac, wrap up for us, please. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Flavin, especially for mentioning those very good uh, Springbok rugby players there. Um, 
I know Flav and I won't be served any Harvey's or any other more mediocre beers anywhere in Sussex if we don't mention no backward step, uh, you know, from the mighty plums. So uh, just a big, big thanks, uh, Flav, for talking about this thing, you know, making making us sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable because, you know, that's the only way we we grow is by being challenged and challenged on, on what we think. So very, you know, big, big thanks for your openness. I know, you know, within... Uh, Plumpton, you know, at the rugby club, we've we've learned a lot, and so, you know, here today again. So, thank you very much. And, and Flav, thank can you, you tell us how we can find you on social media, please? Uh, if you type in Kenyan Pig Farmer, I should come up. Uh, I think Twitter is Kenyan Pig Farmer, Instagram is the Kenyan Pig Farmer, LinkedIn, Flavian Obiero, YouTube, the Kenyan Pig Farmer, TikTok, the Kenyan Pig Farmer. Um, don't go on Facebook because I don't really use that. Okay. And I've just had a WhatsApp from an individual who claims he's a, a district councillor at Ramsgate and, and they, they've got an honorary position of mayor of Ramsgate coming up. Could they put you forward as honorary, <laughs> honorary mayor of Ramsgate? Uh, well, they can't, but I don't think the people vote for me from the way I was getting looked at on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but again, it's, it's all about having the conversation. It's all about having, having the conversation. Yeah. Go for it. Chuck my name in there. Excellent. Flav, well, well, well done. You've been uh, utterly brilliant. Uh, we, we love this series with the HDB talk, Talking Leaders. We, we meet some such inspirational people. Don't realize it. Case in point with, uh, with Flav. We look forward to September's outing. Yeah. Uh, and just type in AgriLeader, HDB AgriLeader into Google and you know, find myself, find Mark, uh, look at everything we do. And, you know, send, come and come and talk to us and see what we can can support you with. So thank you very much. And, and Flav is one to watch. You could just see, Isaac, can't you, that, that he's only halfway through his book. You could just see this more. So we've got to see where this all ends up. It's going to be going to be fascinating. Gentlemen, well done. Keep safe. And we'll see you at the next one. Thank Cheers, you, everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye.